This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. Last week, or week before last, uh, we took a look at guilt and hypocrisy from the first three verses. We see as Paul is writing his letter to the church at Rome, he turns his attention towards, in chapter number 2 towards some Jewish believers. Now, these guys thought they were better than other people. They thought, hey, we have a special relationship with God that goes back all the way to Abraham. These rules and regulations, righteousness, sin, doesn't apply to us. Uh, We don't need to be saved. We don't need to be born again. Uh, We are God's people automatically. And Paul uh, challenges them from the very beginning and says, hey, guys, you're calling other people to hold a standard that you yourself don't hold. You're asking them to follow rules that you yourself do not follow. And God's judgment is also coming for you. Then in verses 4 through 6 is really where we're going to spend our time here today. We'll start our scripture reading in verse number 1. 4 through 6 is where we'll really spend the bulk of our time here today. He begins talking about the character of God and who God is, and we'll take a look at that this morning. Chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 1, read through verse number 6 this morning. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we're sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that thou judgest them which doeth such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Verse 4 through 6 is where we really spend our time here today. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. We try to make it really easy for you to invite people to Huikala. We got some uh, some gospel tracks uh, that you can pick up on your way out that have our service time, schedule, location. Uh, most important thing on the back of those is the gospel. And I hope you'll always have a handful of those somewhere, whether it's in your shirt pocket when you go out or uh, in a backpack that you carry or your purse or uh, that little pocket on the side of your car uh, in the, the driver's side door. Keep some tracks there because you never know when you'll need to invite somebody to church. Now, oftentimes when I invite people to church, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, hey, do you have a church that you attend? You should come visit. And I'm always surprised by these people who say things like, you don't want me to come in your church because if I walk in the church doors, the whole place will fall down on me. Man, man God is mad at me. If I were to go to church, it would be bad. That's well, that's just not true. Pastor, you don't want me to come to your church because if I come... There's going to be lightning bolts from heaven. They're going to strike me dead should I darken the door of a church. Pastor, I don't go to church anymore ever since God got mad at me. And I'm a little bit frustrated by those. Sometimes I believe these people just try to make excuses because they don't want to go to church or whatever. But I'm frustrated because you're mischaracterizing who God really is. And maybe, maybe you don't know who God really is. And that's why we need to understand the character of God. And I truly believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
If you know God for who God is, you will love God for who he is. Like, and God's the type of God that the more that you know him, the more that you're going to love him because he's that good. But we got to make sure that we fully understand who God is for, before we can love him because otherwise we create in our minds and we create our, for ourselves a God that doesn't really exist. And you say, well, pastor, how can we do that? Well, let's imagine that we just say uh, that, that God is loving, he's gracious, he's kind, he forgives all of your sin, which is all true. But God doesn't really care so much when you sin because he created you and he knows that you're bad. Uh, when you sin, God wishes that you wouldn't, but it's really kind of okay with him. God's never really going to punish you for your sin because he's a God of love and a God of kindness and uh, he's gracious and like whatever you do, you're going to mess up, you're going to live a terrible life, that's okay because God just forgives. Okay, portions of that are true, portions of that are false, but the God that you've created is a God that truly doesn't exist. Some people create a God in their mind of he's an angry guy up in heaven that delights in punishment. He gets uh, amped up about hurting people. Uh, he's an angry father who's sitting there with a leather belt just wrapping it on his hand saying, I dare you to try me because I will light you up like a Christmas tree. Uh, hey, I dare you to try me because I'll take you out behind the woodshed and give you a beating that you'll never forget. And this idea that God is just in a hurry to cause problems, that's a God that doesn't exist. So Paul tries to break down as he writes to the church at Rome, hey guys, I think you've miscategorized who you think God is because you have a wrong view of God. First of all, we see in this passage here that God is love. We can't get around this, and unfortunately many people take one characteristic of God and they blow it up like that's all God is. God's bigger than just love, but love is at the core of who he is. Love is not something simply that God does. Love is who he is. John tells us in 1 John that nobody can know love unless they first know God. You can't say that you know God, but you don't love. He says the two of those are just incompatible. And let me tell you, help you with this this morning too, friend. If you're here today and you've never been saved or born again, and we'll take a look at what that means a little bit later, but if you know that you're not saved, you cannot fully comprehend the idea of love according to the Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Now this is really important, some people would disagree with me, but you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with the Bible. If you're not a Christian, you cannot fully love. You just can't. You don't have the capacity to do that, because the Bible tells us, again here in 1 John, that love comes from God, and our only capacity to truly love is to know God. Now, you might disagree with that because you're like, I know people that are loving that aren't Christians and things like that, or uh, before I was a Christian, before I was saved, I had the ca capacity to love. You don't really. 
And let me explain that to you. My wife and I, when we were dating, uh, she to this day is the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen in my entire life. Her, her smile like lights up a room. Like I love everything about her from the moment that I saw her. I was like, man, that girl's drop dead gorgeous. Uh, and you think, man, when you saw your wife, did you think to yourself like, man, I'd love to date that girl? No, I saw my wife and I said, that's so out of my league. I would never have a shot at something like that. Like never. And so like, I didn't even give it a second thought. But then she and I began to date, and uh, we were early in our, our, our dating relationship, and she came over unannounced, um, and before text messages existed, if you can imagine a time like that, and there's a knock at my door, I'm sitting in my bachelor pad, and there's a knock at my door, and she shows up with a, a plate of chocolate chip cookies, and I was just like, this is awesome, and she was like, I, I, I baked these for you, and I wanted to bring them to you, and she was like, I gotta go, but I wanted to drop these off for you. I go to take the plate, and they're warm on the bottom, and I'm just like, hello, like... <laughs> This is good, right? Uh, there are times where we would uh, eat dinner at my house, and, and so I, I would bring dinner in because I didn't actually cook. Um, she, she went to my refrigerator one time, and she opened the fridge. She was like, oh, this is really bad. I go, what? And she was just like, there's nothing in your fridge. I was like, oh, I've got stuff in my fridge. And she says, you have one package of pudding and a two liter of Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what else do you need in a fridge, right? I mean, like. And she was like, there's nothing in here. And no lie, here's what she said. My, my, my apartment was absolutely destroyed. My kitchen was a wreck. <laughs> she goes in there and sees that, and she shuts the door. These are her words, I promise you, verbatim. I feel really sorry for whoever marries you. Those were her words. <laughs> and I was just like, eh, whatever, you know. Um, but then over time, like, she would come over, and she would do my laundry, she would fold it, she would put it away. Uh, I was in the Navy at the time. She would arm uniforms for me, and like uh, she, she, you know, asked somebody how to make military creases, and she like creased my uniform and everything. I was just like, man, where do you get a woman like this? She's like, man, this lady, like this is what I want in my life. I mean, hot cookies, you know, dinner, dessert, laundry, uniforms ironed for a full week. Like, hello. And we were uh, on a date, and we were out walking by the uh, the ocean there in. Uh, um, Pensacola, Florida. If you've ever been to Pensacola Beach before, they got the, uh, the big beach ball water tower out there. We were out there wa- walking along the beach out there. And man, we, we hadn't been dating really that long, maybe a, a month or two. As we stood out there by the, by the ocean, I looked at her and I said, I love you. And she like looked back at me and she was like, I love you too. It was the first time I ever told her that I loved her. And I was just like, man, I was just overcome with emotion. At that moment, did I express to her a deep, long, committed, unconditional love for everything that she is and would ever be. Anybody want to help me with that? No, you didn't. You're exactly right. I didn't. I said, I love cookies. I love laundry. I love you and your beautiful smile and your beauty and all that you are. Uh, you know, I love waking up and just going to a closet and there's like uniforms hung there that all I have to do is put them on and go to work. Like, I love this. I want more of this in my life. That's what I was saying in that moment. So I didn't have the capacity to love the way the Bible commands. Ephesians 5, chapter 5 tells husbands, husbands, you need to love your wives the way that what? Christ loves his church. So again, you don't have the capacity to do that if you don't know God. So true 
unconditional, deep, abiding love begins with God. And if you don't have God, you don't have the capacity to love on that level. So God is love. It's part of the makeup, it's part of his DNA, it's who he is. God's love is lived out in his grace and his loving kindness. So take a look at verse number four. It says, despise not the riches of his goodness. The Greek word that's used there for goodness is closely related to a word that we find in the Old Testament, specifically in the Psalms, the word loving kindness. Now we're going to go through some words here today that are good Bible words that are kind of lost in our vernacular today. Uh, words that we don't really use on a continual basis anymore, maybe they've fallen out of favor, not really used in, in our vocabulary today, but they're really, really good words that are rich in meaning. Loving kindness is one of those words that it's an Old Testament word, it's not even found in the New Testament anywhere, although Paul makes allusions to it with the words that he chooses, even for the word goodness. It means that God is good, it means that he's kind, but he's not kind just because he's kind, or for the sake of being kind. He's kind because he is loving. It denotes with it a sense of tenderness that's associated with that based on his love for you and I. And so because God loves you and I, he's willing to extend to us his grace, his mercy, his Loving kindness, Psalm 36, verse number 10. Oh, continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Psalm 36, 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. You and I can trust in the goodness of God because God is always good. We can trust in the goodness of God because God is always gracious. You say, well, there's been some times in my life where God wasn't gracious. Hold up for a second. Are you still alive today? If the answer is yes, God has been gracious. You don't deserve to be alive. You don't deserve to be here. You don't uh, deserve anything that you have in life. Again, I recognize now that I'm blessed with a wife. I'm blessed with children. I'm blessed with my salvation. I'm blessed with a church family. I'm blessed with the word of God. I'm blessed by the Holy Spirit inside of me. Not because of anything that I have done. Look, I've tried to mess up all those things. But God has been gracious to me. Why has he been gracious? Because God is love. And he's extended his loving kindness to me. Not because I deserve it, but because God is good and he's gracious. So take a look at verse number four. It says, despiseth thou the riches of his goodness. God's not just good, he's rich in goodness. God is extravagantly generous with his loving kindness. God is like next level. If you've ever had that family member who like at Christmas time or birthdays, they just like go over the top. That's God, he like goes over the top. Because he's extravagantly generous in his loving kindness. He's not miserly. Like, okay, I'm going to give you a little nugget of my loving kindness just to let you see how it is, but you don't get any more of that. God's not good or kind a couple of days out of the year. God is good every day. God gives his grace and his loving kindness to you and I again and again and again and again, despite the fact that we are unworthy of that. God's generous in that aspect. Romans chapter 10, verse number 12 says, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. 
You and I are saved. If you're a child of God, you're saved by the riches of God's grace. <coughs> you see, here's the deal. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. You and I, just fact of the matter, you and I have broken God's law, not once or twice, but again and again and again. God says, here's the rules, abide by them. You and I kind of blow it off and kind of do our own thing, right? But God has chosen to be gracious. Now, before God can be gracious, he has to be justice as well. And the Bible says that you and I have broken God's law, and there's consequences for that. The consequences for my sin and yours is death, the Bible says, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Here's what we deserve. We deserve when we die to stand before God, God reads out the charges against us, which is going to be a really, really, really long list. And God says, here's the payment. You're cast into hell for all of eternity. This is what you deserve. This is what I deserve. Those are the consequences. That's the payment for your sin. And that settles you up with God. But here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. But that all should come to repentance. God wants to make a way for you to come back to him. So Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says, But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for you when you were a really good person. Christ didn't die for you once you kind of got your life together. Christ didn't die for you once there were some things in your life that needed to be cleaned up and you cleaned up your act and came to him. Christ died for you when you were a sinner. You don't have to clean up your act and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and Jesus cleans your act up. That's how it works. And so God says this. I'm willing to put your tab what you owe me, your debt for your sin, I'm willing to place it upon my son one time. And he's willing to die for all of your sins, past, present, and future. For you, for me, for anyone who is willing to believe. And so the Bible tells us one of the most beautiful verses in all the New Testament. He, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, I was supposed to be punished. You were supposed to be punished. Jesus was punished in our place. You and I were supposed to die. Jesus died for us in our place. You and I were supposed to endure the wrath of God, God's anger and furious punishment for our sin. Jesus took that for us upon the cross. That's why when he died, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God took his hands off of his son and allowed him to endure the punishment of sin for all people who would ever live. And Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day to prove that he was victorious over our sin, over death and the grave, and he lives forevermore. But here's the deal. Most important thing you'll ever hear in your entire life. You must make a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you from your sin. There's not a church in the world that can save you from your sin. There's not enough religious works you could do in the world to save you from your sin. No pastor can forgive your sins. No other person can forgive your sins. Only God alone. And here's how you make things right with God. 
You come to a place of faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And confessing your sin and repentance. I'm asking God to forgive me of my sins and to save me. And friend, if you would believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you could be saved in a split second. Being saved isn't a matter of like a long period of time or months or years that you have to work through it. It's not a class that you have to go through. It's not an appointment for a baptism or anything like that. It's a matter of I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior alone. And God gives you the riches of his grace. The riches means that God doesn't give you like the stuff that's left over. I have to have a talk with my wife because our pantry is full of like, you know, powdered potatoes at the bottom and packets of like blueberry muffins that have been sitting in there for six months and like baker's chocolate and like powdered sugar. Like our pantry's like full of it. And it's like, uncooked pasta in there, but we got like, no pasta sauce anywhere. It's just like, it's getting overrun with like, well, what I refer to as like giblets, you know? Like if, if like a hurricane hit, we could throw a bunch of stuff together and have like spaghetti noodles and peanut butter, but it doesn't really like mix, right? It's not really, not really a thing, you know? But mind you, we have like very little bread. Uh, you know, we have no chips. We have no pretzels, but we got like boxes of like, you know, fruit snacks that none of my kids like, you know? Organic, healthy, made with 100% fruit snacks that nobody likes, right? Like, bring me like the Scooby snacks, right? You know what I'm talking about. We sometimes think that God kind of gives us the junk at the bottom of the pantry that nobody wants. Like, oh, here's a a pack of of powdered potatoes, you know? Who wants that? No, no, no. God gives us the riches of his grace, God, as he looks through heaven, thinks to himself, what is the greatest thing that I have? I want to give that. And you know what God gave? He gave us his son, and he gave us his name. Those are the two greatest things that he could ever possibly give. The highest price was paid for my sin, for your sin, to redeem our souls. So when I say that he gives us the riches of his grace, when Paul tells the church at Rome, the riches of his goodness, we're talking about only the good stuff. But here's what verse number four says. Take a look at verse number four again. Romans chapter two, verse number four. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. We see that while God is extravagantly generous with his loving kindness, God is also temporarily withholding his judgment through his forbearance. Now, here's another beautiful word that we find in Scripture, only twice in all of the Bible that we find it. But again, not really a term that we use here today unless we're talking about loans of some sort. For example, uh, the definition of forbearance is Patient self-control, restraint, and tolerance. The action of refraining from exercising a legal right, especially enforcing the payment of a debt. I like the last part of it. Forbearance, not so much in that I'm restrained in what I want to do, but forbearance in the act of I'm withholding a legal judgment against someone for a debt that they owe. Oh, this is beautiful. Get this. Sometimes they offer student loan forbearance 
what that means is we're going to put a pause on your loan for a minute and give you a chance to get your life together, and then we'll resume it at a later date. That's forbearance. Now, mind you, this is super important, especially to this passage. Forbearance does nothing to the balance that you still owe. It's still there. You're still going to have to pay it. But you got a minute to get your act together before it's due again. Does that make sense? When we talk about loan forbearance, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about God forbearing in his mercy for you and I, we're talking about God saying, you have sin that must be paid for. You're going to be punished for it. Now I'm willing to hit pause for a minute and allow you the opportunity to get your act together. But at some point, you've got to settle up. You've got to pay what you owe. So God is patient. He's waiting. He's giving you and I an opportunity to recognize where we've gone wrong and make things right. Now, mind you, this is an act of God's mercy and grace. God doesn't have to be forbearing at all. Look, you break God's law, you could fall over dead in a split second. We find this in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira had sold a piece of land and then they lied to God, they lied to the Holy Spirit, they lied to the church about how much they sold the land for because they didn't want to give up all the money. Now here's the thing, God didn't require them to give up all the money, the problem was is that they lied about it. So Ananias, the husband, goes to church and says to Peter, hey Peter, we sold this piece of land, we're giving all the money to the church. And Peter says, did you really sell the piece of land for this price? And he said, we did, which was a lie. Ananias falls over dead. Like, dudes come and carry him out and drop him in a hole, I guess. And then his wife comes later. Now, here's the thought in my mind. Ananias was ready to go to church. He said to his wife, how long? She says, five minutes. And then he realizes five minutes isn't really five minutes, right? Five minutes turned into 10 minutes and 20 minutes and 30 minutes. And Ananias is like, babe, how long is it going to be? She's like, five more minutes. He's like, okay. And he waits like another 20, 30 minutes, and she's still not ready. He said, babe, like, should I go sit in the car and wait for you? Uh, I'm willing to do that. And she's like, five more minutes. And he realizes, five minutes doesn't mean five minutes. And so Ananias says, babe, I'm going to go on. You can catch me at church. And she says, okay. That's in my mind. That's not in the Bible. That's my thought on what's happening here, right? And so he goes, he lies, he falls over dead. And then she comes later. And Peter says, hey, we got your offering for the, the piece of land that you sold. Did you really sell it for this amount of money? And she says, yeah, we did, which is a lie. And she knew it. And he says, man, that's too bad because the guys that just carried your husband's dead body out are getting ready to carry your dead body out. And she falls over dead. That was not a forbearing moment of God's grace. That was like, hey, you lie, boom, dead. And he said, well, that's kind of harsh. No, it's not. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Like if you sin, you're going to die. Well, yeah, not right away. If you don't die right away, that's God's mercy and grace because you deserve to die right away. So if you've sinned, and you have, because I have too, all of us have sinned, and you're still alive today, you're only breathing by the grace of God because God has not struck you dead already. So again, the idea that, you know, God's throwing lightning bolts from heaven could be the case, but he doesn't because, why? He's forbearing. 
He's withholding his punishment right now. Now again, he's pressed pause. At some point, he's going to press resume, and you're going to get precisely what's coming to you. But in this moment here is a beautiful mix of God's mercy and his grace. Mercy and grace are so intertwined in the character of who God is. I want to help you understand. Sometimes people think they're used synonymously or interchangeably. They're not. Mercy is God withholding from you what you deserve. Grace is God giving you the things that you don't actually deserve. For example, let's say that you get pulled over by a police officer because you're driving on the freeway too fast. Freeway in Hawaii, the interstate that goes not between states, it's a freeway, not an interstate. 55, right? If you get out to Coppola, you can bump it up to 60, right? Man, flying out there. Uh, But you're driving faster than the speed limit, you get pulled over. In that moment, every single one of us want mercy, right? Please don't give me a ticket. I'm really sorry. Please don't give me a ticket. And the officer says, Mr. King, you're driving too fast. I need you to dial it back. I need you to slow down, but I'm not going to give you a ticket today. Whew, that's an act of mercy. I did not get the punishment that I deserved. I deserve to get a ticket. I broke the law. I'm thankful for the mercy that I received. Now imagine that the officer pulls out his wallet and says, and Mr. King, here's a $100 bill. I want you to have a nice day. You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's that from? What are the strings attached? No strings attached. I'm just a really good guy. That would be grace. I've I've received something that I don't deserve. I've had withheld from me what I actually deserve. That's how God's mercy and grace works. Here's the thing. You are guilty of breaking God's law. What do you deserve? You deserve death and hell, but God is currently withholding your punishment. And in the meantime, he gives you his loving kindness, his grace, his goodness, and blessings that you, frankly, don't deserve at all. That's God's mercy and grace. It works as God is forbearing. He's holding it back, but understand with forbearance. Forbearance doesn't go on forever. You can't put your student loans on pause for the next 60 years. You might get 12 months, 24 months, maybe 36 months, but at some point you must pay. Right now, while you have breath in your lungs, God is being forbearing for you. The moment that you take your last breath here on planet Earth, you've already determined your eternal destination, and no one, including yourself, can change that. For us as Bible-believing Christians, we don't say things like when people pass away, may his soul rest in peace. He's either resting in peace or he's resting in eternal torment, and you and I can't change that. Because once you take your last breath, you've already determined your eternal destination, nobody can change it. We don't say... May God have mercy on his soul. Either God has already been merciful or God has already been full of wrath. And you and I can't pray to change that. We don't light candles. We don't pray for somebody's soul after they've died. Hey, man, whatever happened was done and it's over with. But until the moment you or anyone else takes their last breath, God is forbearing, but he will not be forbearing forever. There's coming a moment where you're going to have to settle up. So how long will God be forbearing? We don't know the answer to that, but here's what we do know. Not only is God generous in his loving kindness, not only is God forbearing, God is also long-suffering. Again, good Bible word that we don't really use a lot. 
depending on the English translation that you have of the Bible, you might have the word patience uh, in, your, uh, in your Bible. Personal preference, I think it's a terrible word choice for this, this Greek word. For example, I, I, uh, my wife and I had a car in the, the shop this week, and so uh, my wife had the other car, and so I had to get a ride somewhere, and so I had to call an Uber. And so I'm on my phone, I look, I put in all my information, where I'm going, stuff like that. They said, we have drivers three minutes away. And I hit the go now button or whatever it is. I hit that. And it's like connecting you with the driver. Your driver is 13 minutes away. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? It just said three minutes. Now it's 13 minutes. It's another 10 minutes. Like, like I'm bad at math, but that's four times longer than you told me it was going to take. Oh, I was furious. And the driver gets there, get this, in nine minutes. And you think, well, that wasn't so bad. No, it's only three times longer than they told me it was going to take, right? Like, oh, I am, I am so angry about it. Why? Because you told me three minutes, now it's nine minutes. That's patience. Uber is, I called for my driver in 2019, and I'm still waiting, and I think he's going to make it. That's the difference. You go, well, that's dumb. Yeah, I agree. Because it's not patience. It's long-suffering. Literally in the, the word itself, the ability to suffer long. The Greek word that's used in this, this text and also in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22, macrothumia, which literally means long-burning. You ever heard somebody say, well, I've got a really short fuse. That would be microthumia. Short burning. Long burning was like, I've got a fuse and it's about 25 miles long. That's long suffering. Patience says, my spouse is on my last nerve. Like, and if they don't change in like the next 48 hours, I'm going to lose my mind. That's patience. Long suffering says, my spouse is on my last nerve. I'm going to give them the next two decades to get their act together. And in the meantime, I'm going to have a good attitude and choose to love them anyways. That's long-suffering. And so the word patience is a little bit of a misnomer because the word macrothumia means long-burning, the ability to suffer for an extended period of time. That's what God is. That's who God is. God's willing to wait for you for really kind of as long as it takes. But here's the problem. None of us know when the end is. Sometimes I wonder, like, do I want to know, like, when I'm going to die? Like, that way I can kind of have everything planned out and get everything taken care of and buttoned up really nice. And, or would, like, okay, Lord, you know, tell me when I die. I want to think I'm going to be, like, you know, 86 and go, like, you know, looking out uh, over the, you know, the canyons and, you know, sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair. And God's like, okay, next Thursday. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't need to know that after all, right? We don't know. I could die by next Thursday. That's within the realm of possibility. None of us are promised tomorrow. So how much time do I have to get things right with God? I don't know, but here's what I know. God has already been way too forbearing and way too long-suffering with you already. You still want to chance it? I wouldn't recommend it. Now again, I'm not trying to scare anybody into anything. I'm just helping you to see the reality. God's given you multiple opportunities to come to him and get your life right, and you continue to blow him off. How much longer do you think you deserve? We don't know. 
the good news is, is that God's long-suffering. He's willing to give you another chance even today. When we talk about God's long-suffering, again, it does away with the idea that God delights in wrath or judgment. He just doesn't. That's not who he is. God doesn't have fun striking people dead, sending people to hell. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want a single solitary person to die and go to hell. So here's what God said. Anybody that comes to me, anybody, anywhere, regardless of what you've done, that comes to me in faith and repentance, I will forgive. Jesus says, if any man comes unto me, I will in no wise, no way cast him out. All you have to do is come to him, and he's willing to receive it. Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 33 says, For God, He does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Isaiah 27, verse number 2. In that day you sing unto her the vineyard of red wine, speaking of God's wrath. I, the Lord, keep it. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it day and night. Hosea 11, 9. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. The Holy One in the midst of the, I will not enter the city. Hey, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I don't want to. The Bible says that God doesn't even delight in the death of the wicked. Like even in the, when the wicked die, God's just not like, yes. First, it's, it's unique. I mean, you see, for us as Americans, you know, you see on the news that the leader of some terrorist organization got bombed by a drone in the Middle East, and we're just like, yeah, got him. God's not up in heaven celebrating that because God doesn't delight in punishment. Look, if you're a parent, if you're a godly parent, let me just say that. You don't enjoy disciplining your kids. You're not a godly parent if you enjoy spanking your kids. You're just not. And if that's you, I want to help you because that's not godly parenting. Nobody enjoys correcting their kids. Nobody likes spanking their kids. I don't enjoy any time I've ever had to take my kids out of a restaurant, up from the table, and take them to the bathroom and spank them. Have you done that before? More times than I can count. And it's always awkward. I don't enjoy it. I don't like taking my kids out of the restaurant outside and sitting them down eyeball to eyeball and having a conversation. But I do it because I love my kids. Because I love them. I don't enjoy that. God is a father that loves. He doesn't delight in punishment. How sick would that be? God delights in grace. God delights in mercy. God delights in being long-suffering with you. He doesn't delight in punishment. But God's, take a look at the first one before you get to see this. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That word long-suffering, God's willing to wait a really, really, really long time. My daughter, Makili, was having problems with one of her teachers at school. And we could have done what we've done in the past, which we weren't right for, march up to the school and demand to talk to somebody and give them an earful and whatever, whatever. But we decided to help our children work through their problems on their own. And we told her, Makili, you need to find a school counselor and talk to her about the problems that you're having with your teacher. And so she did, and man, Makili handled it with a lot of grace and strength. And, you know, um, she's telling her teacher, hey, this teacher's unkind, he's mean to kids in our classroom. He says things that are hurtful to people. And Akili goes, you know what? He's just not very long-suffering. 
And her counselor like perked up and she was like, hang on for just a second. She like grabbed a sheet of paper out of her drawer and she wrote down and she was like, McKeely, that's a really good word, long suffering. Like I, I never heard a child use that before. I, th I think I'm gonna start using that word. That's really good. And McKeely's like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, it's a Bible word. People don't understand long suffering. But when you hear it, you understand it. God is long suffering. God is forbearing. God is good. Why? Because it's meant to drive us to repentance. Repentance means a change of direction. I once was going this way, now I'm going a different way. The, the Greek word that's used here is the Greek word metanoia, which literally means a change of mind. It also means to agree with God. I recognize that I am wrong, and now I choose to agree with God about what is right. That's repentance. My sin coupled together with God's kindness, forbearance, and his long-suffering should cause me to say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. The song that we sang, All I Have is Christ, the sin that promised joy in life has led me to the grave. Sin is always destructive. Sin never works out the way that you think it will. Sin is never what's best for you. Man, I love Panda Express. Like, I, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. I don't love Panda Express. I love Panda Express orange chicken, okay? Like, I don't, I don't like Chinese food. Like, like, Chinese food, like authentic, oh, it's the most authentic Chinese food you'll ever have. I don't want it. I don't want it, you know? I want fake Americanized Chinese food. Like, give me Panda Express, give me P.F. Chang, like, keep all the other stuff. Don't want it, right? Uh, man, I love orange chicken. Uh, I'm a creature of habit. I always get the two sides or, or the, the two entree, double orange chicken. And depending on how I'm feeling, if I'm feeling a little bit frisky, I might go brown rice or I might go steamed rice. I'm not sure, right? No noodles, no veggies, no, no nothing. Like no fried rice, just plain old rice. And man, I love it. But every single time I eat orange chicken, I don't know if it's the MSG, but like two hours later, like, like I feel like I swallowed a bowling ball, and like my stomach hurts, and it feels swollen. I'm very slow and lethargic, and like my, my head, it does, it's not a headache, it's just my head feels foggy, and like, it's just like, oh, that does not feel good at all. I'm really slow, I'm really lethargic. I want to take a nap, but I know that taking a nap is not going to fix any of the problems that I have, and it's just like, I just feel like junk. And every time I do, it's just like, I am never, you know what I'm going to say? I'm never going to eat Panda Express again. Man, I, I feel like garbage every single time. But then I'm at the food court. <laughs> I'm walking around. I'm looking. And, like, I see them bring that big wok out of the back, and they dump it, and, like, the steam rolls up. And the smell comes over, and you're like, ooh, it's fresh. Like, because you know, sometimes you get the orange chicken, it's like all the pieces are stuck together, like caramelized together because it's been in the, the little pan for like two hours under a lamp. Uh-uh. I'm talking like it's, it's fresh. It's like steaming over the top. And it's just like, can I try a sample of that? And they give it to you, and it's just as good as you wanted it to be. And you're like, I know I probably shouldn't, but it, it's fresh, and I probably won't feel that way next time. 
maybe I'll eat less rice this time or something like that, and you do it. And then what happens two hours later? You're like, oh, I shouldn't, I'm never eating it ever again. Why? Because you feel like garbage afterwards. Sin's the same way, right? Maybe it'll be different this time. Maybe the consequences won't be as bad. Hey, maybe I'll only do half as much as I did last time because I think last time like going over the top is what got me into too much trouble. No, no, no. Sin is always destructive 100% of the time. You can't get around it. So God wants you to see the depravity, the sickness of your sin, and he wants you to compare that to his goodness, his loving kindness, his forbearance, and his long-suffering. And God is going to say to you, how long are you going to continue to do this? How long? Because God's saying, you don't have the rest of your life because you don't know when that'll be. And so God is calling you today to repentance. I'm not ready to repent. What are you holding on to that is so much better than how good God is? What is keeping you? Is it your pride? Are you going to let your pride drag you to hell? Is it your sin that you're not willing to give up? Are you willing that to pull you to hell? Is it worth it? God says it's not. God says my kindness should lead you to repentance. When it talks about goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, goodness, one author put it this way, this is a really good quote, goodness refers to the benefits that God gives. Forbearance refers to the judgment he withholds. And long-suffering to the duration of both. Goodness is how good God is. Forbearance is God withholding his judgment. And long-suffering determines how long he's going to be good and how long he's going to be forbearing. But remember, it has an expiration date attached to it. (laughs) Christian, even when you and I rebel against the grace of God, we despise the riches of his goodness. Notice the beginning of, of verse number four here. It says, O thou despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and his long-suffering. What, you don't think that's good enough? You would really rather choose your sin than to choose God? That doesn't even make sense. Matthew Henry, the famous New Testament commentator, said this. He said that, And every willful sin is a contempt for the goodness of God. Contempt. Hey, I just don't think that God is good enough. I'd rather have pornography than a right walk with God because pornography is so much better for me. Really? Like, you want to compare those two? One of them will lead you to death and destruction, and the other one leads you towards life and joy? It's no comparison. Well, Alcohol versus God. Do you want to go there? I don't think you do. Gossip and God. Do you want to go there? I don't think that you do. Negative thought life. I don't think you want to go there. Materialism and what this life has to offer. All of these verses, God, like, why would you even make the comparison? That's why the song we sang this morning, Shout to the Lord, I love, love, love what it says. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. When it comes to Jesus, like, what could compare to that? But here's the thing. When you and I choose sin over God, we're despising 
the riches of his goodness. And we're saying like, no, I'm good. I don't need that after all. So when we talk about God's character, it's a little bit too simplistic to boil God down into this God who's just loving and kind and forbearing. It's too simplistic to only focus on one particular attribute of God. Because people, again, when we do that, we create this God that doesn't really exist. God's just a God of love. And God's just out there. He's just loving. He's kind. He's merciful. We can continue to sin forever. And he's just long-suffering. He's willing to, to put pause on my punishment. Just let me get by for as long as I want. Please understand, God is love, but he's also justice. You must have both in your view of who God is. Because that's who God is. A God who's a God of love that has no justice is not the God of the Bible. I got pulled over one time in California and had to go to court. You, you couldn't just like mail in your, your fine. You had to actually go to court and sit and take a day off work and sit in a courtroom and wait till your name was called. And finally I got my name called. I went up there and, oh, Mr. King, so you got a you know, speeding infraction here. How do you plead? I plead guilty, Your Honor. I did it. I'm sorry. And he says, okay, okay Mr. King, since you've... Uh, Allow the court to not go through the cost of a jury trial. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and dismiss your charges. See the clerk on your way out. Yeah, let's go. I'm dismissed. And so, uh, I mean, I walk out, see the clerk on the way out. It's like, uh, hey, Anthony King, I just want to, uh, he said my charges got dismissed. She's like, oh, yeah. She's like, $385. No, he, he just said dismissed. And she's like, oh, these are just the court fees. What? Like, I thought I was, like, off. And she was just like, sweetheart, nobody gets off. And it's just like, oh, got it. And it's just state of California. So, you know, and, like, sandwiching those fees somewhere, some communist fee of <laughs> stealing my money and giving it to some. You know it, right? Somewhere. Anyways. Um, but I thought in that moment, like, you, you never get off free, do you? But imagine a judge that everything that came across their desk was just dismissed. Oh, you're speeding 10 miles an hour over. Dismissed. Assault in the first degree. Dismissed. Domestic violence. Dismissed. Driving under the influence. Dismissed. Vehicular manslaughter. Dismissed. Oh, I'm the judge of love, you know? Like, I'm just like dismissing everybody. It's all right. You'll do better next time. You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not love. Like, you would say, where is the justice in this situation? God is a God of love, but he's also at the same time balanced as a God of justice as well. You can't have one without the other. But again, God doesn't love justice so much that he doesn't love, because then he would be angry, vengeful, spiteful, out for revenge. But that's not who God is. He's perfectly balanced in both. Is God merciful? Yes, God is definitely merciful, but God's also holy. God can't give mercy and withhold from you what you actually deserve without holding a standard high. Okay, I'm willing to be merciful, but not forever. You can't continue this lifestyle and get away with it forever. At some point, you have to be held to the standard that I set, and God is Holy, 
And so God requires punishment. Verse number five talks about a, a word that we feel sometimes uncomfortable associating God with, and that's the word wrath. Now, if you're here when we went through Romans chapter one, we spent like three weeks talking about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is an expression of divine displeasure with human sin. It's the free, subjective, and holy response of God to sin and to the evil and wickedness exhibited by creatures in opposition to God. Bottom line, it's God's anger and punishment for sin. That's God's wrath. You cannot escape the wrath of God. I will repeat that. You cannot escape the wrath of God. Verse number five says that there is wrath, and as you harden your heart, verse 5, as you refuse to repent, God continues to build up and add wrath to his wrath. You can't escape it. So either you will be the object of God's wrath and punishment, but it makes things a lot easier for everybody if you would just put your punishment on Jesus and receive his forgiveness. That's all he's asking. Do you really want to endure God's wrath for eternity? There's no end in that. And so he's offering you, he's offering me forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. God's wrath is his calculated and intentional action against sin and his desire for justice. God's wrath flows from his desire for justice. God isn't wrath because he's angry, because he's got a, you know, hair trigger temper. God's not like you and I, like he gets mad about stupid stuff. Like, I get mad when somebody blocks an intersection, right? Oh, like you had to pull out, like the light was yellow and you pulled up and blocked an intersection. And now I've got a green light, but I can't go because you just had to come up in the intersection and block the intersection. And here my light turns red while I'm waiting for you, who still hasn't made it through the intersection because you just had to pull out, didn't you? That's me. God's not like that. God doesn't get upset over stuff like that. That's carnal anger. You and I, what we do. We're frustrated when people disrespect us or bump into us or are unkind to us. That's not God. God says, I only get angry when you break my rules. You're only going to get punished when you do what I tell you not to do. That's God's wrath. So, I mean, the question we have, is God wrath? I mean, if God is love, God is mercy, God is grace, God is kind, God is loving, is God also wrath? The answer to that's no, God is not wrath. Because if there were no sin, there would be no wrath. God doesn't have to punish anything if there were any sin. But get this, this is really important. If there were no sin, God would still be love. If there were no sin, God would still be grace. <coughs> if there were no sin, God would still be mercy. If there were no sin, God still would be loving kind. God would still be long-suffering, but his wrath is only in response to our sinful condition. Now, when we talk about God's loving kindness, his forbearance, and his long-suffering, here's a really important thing to note. Again, verse number five. Let's take a look at uh, Romans chapter two, verse number five. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, you refuse to repent, you refuse to 
put your trust in Jesus, you're going to harden your heart and continue to do your own thing. You're treasuring up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath. So you have the punishment of God and you're heaping more on as the days go by. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Keep this in mind. As you sin against God, God's keeping score. Every wrong thing you've ever, ever done has been made record of. And the Bible says when we die, he's going to judge every man according to his deeds. And if you've got a long list, it's going to be a long time and you're going to receive a serious judgment. So, as you continue to live life and continue to sin against God, it gets worse and worse as it goes. Just by being alive, you continue to sin against God, and God's wrath continues to store up greater and greater and greater. And just like a loan under forbearance continues to accrue interest, accrue interest, so the wrath of God continues to build up while God waits for repentance. Oh, that loan forbearance, you didn't really think they were doing you a favor, did you? The banks are like, oh, we don't need our money right now. You're welcome to hang on to it as long as you like. No, 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 no. Your foreborn uh, loan continues to accrue interest. Accrue interest. You owed five thousand on your student loan. You paused it for three years. Now you owe fifty-five hundred. That's if you got a really good interest rate. You probably owe like seven thousand now. Because it continues to rack up. God is forbearing in His wrath, but you're continuing to rack up deeper sin debt as you go. That when your day of judgment comes, verse 5, there's going to be wrath upon wrath. And verse 6 says, God will render every man according to his deeds. Do you really want to stand before God and go over the list of everything that you've ever done wrong in your life? I don't think that you do. So God has made a way, get this, for all of this to go away. And it's really simple. Verse 4 tells us the whole point of all this is to drive you to repentance. God's wrath is balanced by his kindness, forbearance, long-suffering, and willingness to forgive immediately. And look, you don't want what you deserve when it comes to God doling out judgment you want God's grace. You don't want what you deserve, I promise you that. You want the grace of God. And God's grace says, yes, there will be wrath, but you can fix all that immediately. Today, following the service, we have five people that are getting baptized today. Totally awesome. Baptism has nothing to do with their salvation. They're already saved. Baptism is just a picture of a decision that they've already made to trust Christ as Savior. They've already been saved. They've already been born again. Now they're going to be baptized today. Awesome. Hope you join us for it. But please understand this. For those that have never been saved, God's wrath continues to accrue, continues to stack up. And when you die, you're on the hook 100% for what you've done. You can't be baptized to make that go away. You can't go to church enough to make that go away. If God is really keeping a list of every wrong thing you've done, do you think that you could outdo that by doing one good deed for every wrong thing you've done? You can't. You'd run out of time in your lifetime. So here's what God has done. God says, I'll give my son who is willing to pay your debt in full if you're willing to believe in him and turn away from your sin. Hey, that 
loan debt that you have that continues to accrue, I'm willing to write a check as long as you are willing to put your faith in me and believe in me alone. That's what God's saying to you today. And so if you're here today and you're not sure that you're saved, you've never had a time in life where you've been saved or born again, let today be that day. It's not a, a class that you join or a, a baptism appointment that you've got to make or anything like that. It's about, I put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me from my sins. It's not about how to become a Baptist or how to join our church. It's about knowing for sure everything's right between me and God. If you're here today and you don't know that for sure, make today that day. Majority of people in this room, I know your story. I know how you came to faith in Christ and you're a child of God because you've been saved or born again. Please understand this. When you choose, choose to sin, you are despising the riches of God's goodness. You're saying to God, God, I know what you have to offer, but it's not quite as attractive as my sin is. Hey, Jesus, I know what you've done for me on the cross, but no thanks. I think I want to wallow in the pig filth of my own sin for a little while longer. And God says, okay. It's not how it should be, but okay. And I'm asking you today, see God for the loving, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, forbearing God that he is and say, this is greater than anything that the world has to offer. It's greater than my sin. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, what is keeping you today from putting your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You might say, well, I, I think I'm saved. Be sure that you're saved, because if not, you're just continuing to accrue God's wrath and punishment for another day. So if you're here today, again, you don't have to come to church every Sunday to be saved. It's wise. You don't have to be baptized. You should because it's obedience. You don't have to join a church, although you should. You just need to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And I'm turning from my sin and asking him to save me today. And he will in a split second. One of the greatest verses in all the Bible, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because he's that kind of God. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 